You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, as always, of MLBPipeline.com. Uh, the top prospect in baseball made his debut on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, due to the weather, it was a little bit shortened, but still impressive stuff from Lucas Giolito. Uh, game three of the College World Series finals coming up tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit. And also, of course, the Futures game. The rosters officially unveiled on Tuesday. Uh, and with more on that, Jonathan and Jim were able to catch up with Del Matthews, Senior Director of Baseball Development. He's the main guy as far as finalizing these rosters. Let's hear what he had to say about the rosters and the process of the Futures game. Well, Dell, I know this is your, uh, your first time uh, organizing the Futures game. Uh, you know, since we're all part of the process, we know that some of the challenges. But what, what, what have you found to be the, what's been the most fun in terms of trying to, to figure out uh, who, who gets to participate uh, in this year's Futures game? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the whole process has been, uh, you know, really fun. I, I think communicating with Trevor and Moises, uh, throughout the process has, has been really, uh, has been really fun. And obviously when you're, you're dealing with, um, you know, talent at this level and how good these players are, it makes putting together, uh, you know, rosters really fun. I'm sure GMs around the, the league would love to have this kind of talent, uh, on their team and, and going out and playing every day. But um, the names are what they are, and I, I think the guys that, that uh, have played well and up to this point and, and their prospect status uh, speaks for themselves, and, and they're all deserving uh, of being honored to, to play uh, in the Futures Gang among, among the best and uh, you know, having a platform to showcase their skills uh, in a big league environment, I think, other than then uh, winter ball, uh, really, this is probably the closest uh, thing to getting to the big leagues uh, without being there. And so it should be a, uh, a great experience for all of the guys. Dale, this is the first time you've ever seen putting the, uh, the Futures game rosters together, and Jonathan and I have lent a hand for, for several years now. Uh, and I don't know if our listeners realize how many logistical hoops there are to jump through sometimes and putting these together with – trying to fill positional requirements, and, and sometimes teams don't make guys available who, who might seem like obvious choices and taking at least one but no more than two from every organization instead of the host organization. I was just curious, what were your uh, expectations of the logistical uh, uh, hurdles uh, coming into the process, and, and was it easier or, or more difficult uh, than you thought it was going to be overseeing the process of putting these rosters together? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a jigsaw puzzle, uh, to say the least. I, um, you know, when I, when I first started uh, thinking about the process, I said, well, okay, let me just put together my ideal ro- roster here in the beginning, and let's see what it looks like at the end. And I can tell you that it's uh, completely different, uh, with the exception of maybe, you know, 10 guys or so. Um, from from what I initially thought would be in the beginning, but um, you're right about that. Uh, the, the clubs have have some say so, and they have input, and they have you know guys that they're uh, familiar with and they feel are deserving. So they they make recommendations. Um, you're obviously taking a lot of input from from seasoned um, um, members of, of the media that uh, study these guys, that know these guys through and through, and have a lot of contacts. Uh, put together their press list, their prospect list, 
on on players and, and have been following these players, uh, a lot of these guys since they signed um, out of college or high school. And so uh, there's a lot of strong opinions about, uh, you know, sh- who should have the opportunity to, to represent, uh, you know, the best of the best at the Futures game. But, um, you know, it was a collaborative process. Um, spoke with a lot of a lot of individuals. I got input uh, from from some of our staff members um, of you know some of their thoughts and and ultimately you want to accommodate the fans. You want to put on uh, the best show for the fans and and you want to uh, please the clubs as well with with their recommendations. And so there there's a lot of moving parts, uh, but ultimately you, you end up with uh, the the best guys and some guys end up going to the big leagues, uh, you know, a day or two before the game, as in the case of, of Giolito last night, uh, making his major league debut. And, and you'll have other guys that'll happen too. And some, sometimes the guy is, is a little bit tender or a little bit sore and, and, and clubs are a little reluctant to maybe uh, uh, give their blessings on that guy and, and they don't want everybody to know. So um, it's an interesting process, but uh, definitely uh, fun and exciting. And I can say that, uh, something I thoroughly enjoyed. Adele, I know that you, you get stuck in, in the logistics now of uh, flights and things like that. Have you had a chance, you know, you have a scouting background, have you had a chance to look at the rosters and, you know, just overall, you know, like what the strengths of each squad are? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of, of amateur scouting when I was when I was with the White Sox. It was it was more so once the players got into the system and in, in in player development. But obviously, uh, you know, keeping abreast of, of who's who and, and knowing the strengths and, and weaknesses of, of certain players and and knowing where certain players have have grown in in certain parts of their game than others. Um, you know, is is definitely I think something that that's helped me with the process, and and you have guys that are uh, you know that are really blossoming before your eyes, and guys pop kind of at certain times, and uh, you know right here in the thick of the summer when the ball is really starting to fly, you're seeing a lot of a lot of offensive prowess from these guys, and uh, you know it's it's going to be fun to watch. Dell, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question here. This has been a, a pet. Uh project of mine since the Futures game was announced, and I don't know if this has been discussed. I'm just asking you this out of the blue. I would love to see a Futures game-related home run derby before the game. Do you think that that's something, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you think that's something that we might see in the future? Because I think that's something that fans might really enjoy, seeing some of these these guys in a home run derby environment before the Futures game, and I would even go one step further as I'm throwing out ideas here and keep the winner around and maybe let him participate in the home run derby on Monday night with the, with the big leaguers. Yeah. You know what? That's actually an interesting, a uh, couple of interesting ideas that, that you put out there. I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a, uh, uh, interesting task getting these guys in and out. Um, that, that process is, is very tedious. You have guys flying from all over the country, uh, to come in, uh, on, on Saturday. And, and some of these guys, uh, will wind up playing in the AAA All-Star Game, which which I believe is next uh, Wednesday, I want to say. And so the in-and-out process is, is a little bit different. You have guys coming from A-ball, AA, AAA. Um, their All-Star breaks are different. And so, you know, some of the AAA guys um, like to be able to, you know, have, have their time. And some of the other guys have to actually get back uh, to their clubs as, as their clubs are, are competing for second-half championships. So it's there's a lot of moving parts there, but I think ultimately, um, you know, as, as, as the fans look at it, it'd be definitely, I think, 
something the fans uh, would like to see. And, and when you have the high school home run derby that's going to be taking place, you've got the regular home run derby, it would seem like a, a, a home run derby uh, of some sort for the futures guys or, or a handful of those guys would uh, definitely be awesome. I'm a little bit old school. I, you know, I, I like for guys to kind of earn their stripes uh, to the big league, so I don't know about hitting – uh, with the big league guys, but uh, certainly would make for for good uh, for good entertainment and and uh, a lot of good things to talk about uh, uh, with guys on the radio and and, and on TV. Uh, Doug, that dovetails right into the uh, the idea that I've always had, which is uh, not necessarily you know, performing the home run derby, but have the MVP stick around to take DP on Monday. So we, yeah, we'll keep throwing ideas at you because uh, that's what you need right now while you're booking 50 flights from. <laughs> crazy minor yeah, league locations. Absolutely. The, uh, the the more ideas, the better. And, you know, to, to be honest, this is, uh, you know, when me coming in, ha- not having done this, um, having the opportunity to go through the process, um, you learn a lot of different things and you, you, you get a lot of, of good uh, feedback um, from, from different, uh, from different perspectives. And so ultimately, um, you know, you're, you're trying to take the best of the best to, uh, to, to make the best presentation. So um, there are no bad ideas, and I, I think, uh, you know, if you can continue to tweak things to make it better, uh, you know, that, that's ultimately what you want to do. So uh, definitely open to suggestions and ideas and, and, you know, something we can continue to discuss going forward. All right, uh, well, appreciate your time. Get back to uh, playing travel agents, and uh, we'll see you out in San Diego. Sounds good. We'll see you guys there. All right, thanks again to Dell Matthews, Senior Director of Baseball Development for Major League Baseball. Um, you guys, nice job with the interview there with Dell. And, and obviously there's a ton of moving parts, all these players getting it all together. It's not an easy task putting these rosters together, is it, Jonathan? No, no. They're, they're, you know, as we, we talked about uh, with him, I mean, in, we talked sort of in a general sense. The, the combination of positional, you know, positional needs and limiting – uh, to one or two, on occasion, three uh, guys per organization makes it tough. I mean, there are times where, you know, in an ideal world, you take six guys from one organization and, and none or just one from another, and, you know, unfortunately it doesn't work that way. And certain positions are, are always tough to find depth at. So uh, it does make it a little bit challenging to fit all those pieces of the puzzle together. You know, also, and Jonathan, just to, you know, it, it's it, that would be easy or easier if it was just that. But you also have to deal with a lot of times, or, or not a lot of times, but several times, the team won't necessarily make an obvious like a guy who'd be an obvious selection available. And then there seems to be an emphasis on avoiding players who've been in the game, uh, you know, and tying into that, you know, maybe avoiding players who are lower in the minors. It's you, I'm sure your Twitter feed has blown up. My Twitter feed has blown up a little bit with people asking, why didn't player X make it? And you can't really go into all the details, but it's not just a matter of sitting down saying, okay, who are the 50 best prospects? Let's put them in the game. Yeah. And that, I mean, that happens every year when people get upset. And, you know, and then throwing the fact that teams don't approve certain guys that you think that we might have interest in. So that, that's a whole wrinkle to it as well. Yeah, so a lot goes into it. Let's get into these rosters a little bit. And I just want you guys each to, to – 
go with a position player and a pitcher that you're really excited to, to see play on the big stage? Because it is definitely something different for most of these guys. Suddenly, you're in a major league ballpark, and, and they fill the Futures game out now. I mean, generally the stadium is packed, and I'm sure it will be at Petco. Uh, so who are you excited to see? Uh, Jonathan, I'll start with you on the position side of things. Um, let's start with the U. Um, I guess you can go either team. Just give me a, a position guy you're really excited to see. One position guy I'm really excited to see. There are two, like, Jim Callis prospect crushes on the U.S. team. So I'm <laughs> no, there's more than two. There's probably uh, I, three. Yeah, and no, I know. Um, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Austin Meadows. Just because uh, this is a guy that I, you know, I wrote about when he was in high school, coming out of the draft. You know, Meadows and Frazier together. It's cool that they're both on, on the U.S. outfield team. They're both Georgia high schoolers uh, taken in the in the top ten uh, of that draft. And Meadows just reeled off a 24 game hitting streak, uh, moved up to AAA, and this is despite the fact that he. Missed a good chunk of the first part of the season because he had a fractured orbital bone. Uh, so uh, I think this will be fun to see him on this stage because uh, he's really not that far from being ready. I don't know where he could possibly fit into the Pirates' big league outfield, but that's uh, a decision for, for later on. So I'll, I'll stick with Austin Meadows as my position guy. Jim, the assumption is that you will go with Dansby Swanson here, but I leave it up to you. Yeah, the, the, the assumption is going to be wrong. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm go a little bit off the board, and I was just going to say with Austin Meadows, he's got to be Jonathan the most blocked prospect in the minor leagues right now, where there's not a whole lot more he needs to work on, and Pittsburgh has no outfield vacancy for him at all. I mean, the guy having the worst years, Andrew McCutcheon, and I know there's been some discussion should the Pirates trade him and maybe bring back a prospect haul for him and free up money and open a spot for Meadows, but. Hard to imagine them necessarily pulling the trigger on that, but I'm, I'm not going with Swanson, Tim. I knew you were thinking I was going to do that, but I saw Dansby Swanson play at the College World Series the last two years. I saw Alex Bregman, who, who would have been maybe my second choice, play at the College World Series last year. And you know me, I'm going to give you two answers instead of one, which is cheating, but I'm still going to do it. The two guys I'm most excited about seeing position-wise both play for the Red Sox, Yohan Mankata, who we've heard so much about, and after a slow start last year in low Class A, he's just you know hit and, and, and run all over opponents ever since, and he's up in Double A. I'm excited to see Yohan Mankata in, in person for the first time. I, I've done spring training in Arizona for three years in a row, so I did not see him this spring. And then also on the Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi, uh, Arkansas was gone by the time I got out here last year. I'm looking forward to seeing him play. You know, another guy who's been tremendously productive since joining pro ball last year. Yeah, two guys that started the season as teammates, then Ben and went up to Double A, and now Mankata has followed him up to uh, to that Portland team. All right, let's switch over to the pitching side of things, and I'll go back to you, Jonathan, uh, for first dibs here. Who do you want to see out there on the mound in San Diego? I'd like to Jim pick guys that he hasn't seen before. There you go. Um, but uh, that said. I think I'm going to take Alex Reyes, even though I saw him pitch in the Fall League. Uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to see him pitch last year. He would have been uh, in the Futures game, but uh, he was not able to pitch at the time. Uh, you know, obviously coming off the suspension, his his numbers have been uh, read, like video game good since he's been back, strikeout right through the roof, and he's the kind of guy that could come out and you know light up the radar gun. Um, and put on and put on a really good show. And uh, for my money, if I were picking who to start the game for the world team, he's my starter. How about you, Jim? 
I'm going to stay with the theme of guys I haven't seen before. Um, I, I thought okay. about Reyes. I thought about Josh Hader, another guy who Jonathan and I both saw very good in the fall league. I'm looking forward to seeing Jeff Hoffman. I mean, here's a guy who could have been the number one overall pick in the 2014 draft had he been healthy, but he had Tommy John in the middle of the season while he was at East Carolina. Uh, you know, gets drafted by the Blue Jays ninth overall, despite the Tommy John, gets traded to the Rockies in last season's Troy Tulowitzki trade shortly after he returned to the mound, and, and he's had a, a ton of success too. He's pitching very well in Triple A. Uh, you know, every, every indication I've had is that the stuff is as good as it ever was. I'm looking forward to seeing that firsthand. And this is a guy who who could be in Colorado very soon too. So I'm I'm interested in getting a look at Jeff Hoffman. All right, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, that futures game, of course, the Sunday of All Star Weekend. That is July 10th from San Diego, and the game a little bit later in the day this year, I think primetime uh, as far as the East Coast goes. So it'll be a lot of fun seeing all those players, so many talented players there, and I'm sure the rosters may change a little bit because sometimes you see players end up getting brought up to the majors uh, shortly before the game. But we have a week to go, so there, there shouldn't be too many changes. It'll be great stuff. All right, lots of other stuff to talk about on the podcast today. Um, I want to get into the College World Series since, Jim, you're still out there in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, we're down to two teams, and not certainly not the two teams I think most people expected to meet in the final, and now we're down to one game as Coastal Carolina and Arizona split the first two games of the finals, best two out of three. So Wednesday night, it's one game for all the marbles. How excited are you to be at, at the ballpark tonight? Uh, very excited. I'm very curious to see who both teams are going to pitch because they had to go through the loser's bracket and there's not a lot of pitching left on either side. And, you know, it's interesting. What you said, Tim, is correct. You know, coming into the year, you wouldn't have expected either of these teams to necessarily be in the College World Series championship series. Arizona had not made the NCAA regionals for three years in a row after winning the 2012 College World Series, had a new coach. Uh, Jay Johnson is the fifth coach to ever get to the championship game of the College World Series in his first year at the school. And he has a chance to be the first coach ever to win that. The previous four lost. And, you know, the thing is, it's a lot of the same roster. I mean, the top of the lineup has been very productive for Arizona out here. Uh, second baseman Cody Raymer and uh, right fielder Zach Gibbons. Both were drafted by the Angels, if I remember that correctly, in the, in the teens. Uh, both seniors, and these were guys who hadn't done a whole lot coming into the year. It, it's not like Arizona brought in a whole bunch of new players. They just, I think Jay Johnson is just a very, very good coach, and he got the team very organized. And, and I mean, it's going to sound cliche-y, but, you know, basically preparation and effort and focusing on the next pitch and not looking too far ahead and, Guys have gotten a lot better. I think that's a tribute to the players and a tribute to Jay Johnson. Um, and they came out, you know, both these teams have come out of the loser's bracket out here, which is difficult, too. They, Arizona 6-0 in elimination games in the tournament, including 3-0 out here. Uh, Coastal Carolina is 5-0 in elimination games in the tournament, including 4-0 out here. And, you know, with Coastal, I think the, the typical fan reaction is, Coastal Carolina, man, what an upset. Where did these guys come from? But you know, ESPN actually did a nice little comparison in last night's broadcast between Coastal Carolina and Gonzaga. I mean, Coastal hosted a Super Regional in 2010 and had a College World Series caliber team that got walked off by South Carolina, and South Carolina went on to win the national title. Coastal Carolina had a, a Super Regional team in 2012. Um, they've been a consistently good program. They lead the nation in wins this year. They're trying to become the first school. Here, I'll give you guys a trivia question. I know you can't answer unless you've been reading my stories. We'll test how, how loyal you are to me. Who's the, who's the last school to win the College World Series in their first trip to Omaha? Uh, I have no idea. No. 
Yeah, <laughs> thanks for reading my stuff, guys. Uh, anyway, it. that would be Minnesota in 1956, which was the 10th year of the College World Series. But, uh, you know, this is a good team. They lead the nation in wins. They lead the nation in homers, although this park is not a place to hit home runs, TD Ameritrade Park. TD, TD Ameritrade Park, but they have a very balanced team. They, they can, you know, if they're not hitting home runs, they can still drive the ball in the gaps. They have over 100 steals. They can play small ball. They play pretty good defense. They throw a lot of strikes. Um, but the two teams are kind of mirror images because they can both beat you in a number of ways. And, and like I said, that from a pitching mess standpoint, both coaches are kind of coy. I anticipate the Coastal Carolina will go with Andrew Beckwith, who has two complete game victories out here. Arizona, you know, it's tough. They have the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, Nathan Bannister, who left Saturday's game, or I'm sorry, Friday's game with an arm injury, and they've remained mum about his status since. I don't know if we could see him tonight. If not, we'll probably see Bobby Dahlbeck, who's better known as a power-hitting third baseman, but who has 18 strikeouts and two starts out here and and won the game Saturday to put them in the finals on the mound. Um, And so I, I think we could see Bobby Dahlbeck. He's the highest draft pick still playing in the World Series. He and Coastal Carolina shortstop Michael Piaz, who has just hammered balls each of the last two nights and had him die on the warning track, which shows how hard it is to hit home runs here. Both Dahlbeck and Piaz were fourth-round picks. But it's been an exciting series. Not the, not the teams you necessarily expected to be here. It's been a tournament full of upsets. But uh, really looking forward to tonight's game and, and, and actually looking forward to getting out to the ballpark. And I, I don't think I'll know when I get to the ballpark, probably about an hour before the game. I'm looking forward to finding out who's going to pitch in this one tonight. Was the 1956 College World Series played in Omaha? It was. It, right. The first two years, well, see, the first three years it was – uh, I know it was in Kalamazoo one or two years, and I can't remember if the first one was in Wichita, but it came to Omaha in 1950. All right, there you go. Uh, Jonathan, I know you were at the Tournament of Stars uh, you know, last week, focusing in on that, on that, the high school players. Have you gotten a chance to tune into much of the College World Series? Yeah, just as a fan. Yeah. Since I always like the College World Series just because you know, when you see the guys whose you know, names uh, Jim and I were talking about, often scrambling to talk about on, on day two, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and getting to, to watch them. Because you don't, you know, unless you really go looking, you're not going to watch that much college baseball action before the regionals, maybe conference tournaments. But uh, so that's been fun, and and the, the storylines are always exciting. Uh, you know, you know, it's pretty easy to root for Coastal Carolina. They do have that sort of underdog Cinderella story. Yes, I know they're a very good team, Jim, but you know, just by comparison, um, I love the fact that the coach refused to go to Omaha until his team got there. I mean, there's so many good storylines. You know, and more than anything, like just the fun that both teams, all the teams had. Um, you know, there's all this talk about you know fun in Major League Baseball and worrying too much about the unwritten rules and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that we Major League Baseball needs to become college baseball with some of the hijinks in the dugout, but I think you know there are probably a couple pages that could be taken from that script. Everyone loves a rally cap, that's for sure. Everyone oh, loves 20 it. of them. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, there's been some big news this week or in the last really uh, 48 hours as far as uh, pitching prospects, and, and we got some good news and some bad news. Let's start with the good news, and that is Lucas Giolito. Uh, the day finally came, uh, Tuesday, making his Major League debut for the Washington Nationals. It comes because of, unfortunately, for the Nationals' injury with Steven Strasburg going to the disabled list with the bad back. But Giolito comes up. And, man, not, not the ideal situation as far as making your big league debut. The game is delayed by rain, so he has to kind of wait through that. 
Uh, he ends up going four innings, and then here comes the rain again, and that meant that was it for Giolito. But, but a pretty good four innings. He gives up a leadoff single in the first inning, and that was it. After that, uh, no more hits through four innings. He did walk a couple of Mets along the way. Now, there's been a lot of talk about how bad the Mets lineup is right now, but certainly when you look at Giolito, as a, considering everything that goes into a major league debut, the nerves, uh, the attention, I know he probably had to deal with a lot of media and all of that. Uh, Jonathan, you had to like what you saw, right, at the big league level for this guy coming from double A? Oh, without question. And I always laugh when they say things like that. Well, you know, the Mets lineup is, well, he can only face the lineup that he's scheduled to face. And it's a better lineup than he was facing in Harrisburg, that's for yes, sure. Exa- exactly. So, uh, you know, the one thing I was looking for was out of the shoot, if the, if the nerves you know, had him too amped up and he was throwing too hard and he lost command. Uh, and he didn't do that. Uh, he stayed within himself, uh, which, which I thought was a very, very good sign. Obviously, the stuff is there to get big league hitters out. Um, you know, he had very late in spring training. He got a last-minute, on short rest even, uh, spring training start just because they ended up shorthanded. And he threw really, really well. And, and not that he, he's never lacked confidence, but I think that was like a last taste of big league camp that made him think, you know what, I can get a, a regular big league lineup out because he was facing big league regulars as near the end of spring training. Um, so you knew it was just a matter of, Time. You know, there were rumors that he was going to move up to AAA. However long he's up now, uh, you know, whether or not he you know, forces their hand by pitching so well that they make room, I, I, I don't know. But I, you know, I think they could send it back down, send them in the AAA with the experiences of what happens in the big league. But uh, I don't know, maybe the rain was a good thing. You know, he, he, he threw four very strong innings. He wasn't overtaxed. Uh, it's a really good way to start things off. And, uh, you know, assuming if he, if he gets another start if needed, then he can build off of that. Yeah, we saw Julio Urias obviously have an, a kind of an opposite situation where he really struggled, even though you know everyone still expects he's going to be a great pitcher. But Giolito, the opposite, a good start. But Jim, did the four innings, does that leave you almost wanting more to see how, how he could have finished out that start, maybe going six or who knows how long they would have left him in. I would think they wouldn't have let him go too long. But it also took away the chance for him to get a victory. Did it leave you wanting to see more Lucas Giolito in the majors? Um, I mean, more in terms of going forward, yes. I mean, it, it's one game. It was what it was. I would, uh, I will be honest, and I was, I was intently focused on Wildcats and Chanticleers. I, I did not realize they were Chanticleers, not Chanticleers, until I got out here to Omaha and did not get to see any of the debut. But uh, no, I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I was going to make the same comparison you just did. I mean, the top two prospects on MLB pipeline, pipeline list right now are, are Giolito and Urias, and Urias came up and. And, and kind of struggled and tried to do too much, and that's what impressed me just from reading the stories and, and looking at some of the clips online. It just seemed like Giolito went out and pitched his game. You know, the, the, the interesting thing going forward with him, as it is kind of with Urias, although he's pitched a little bit more, is you know he, he's never thrown even 120 innings in a minor league season. So I, I would think they would cap him around 150, and he's halfway there now. You know, when, when you wonder about what he's going to do going forward. You know, I think back, and I still think it was a, a ridiculous, stupid, I'll use the word stupid decision, the way they handled Steven Strasburg a couple of years ago. Not not that Strasburg should have just pitched you know, untold innings, but they could have seen that problem coming and handled it a lot better than, eh, we're shutting him down in September and we don't need him in the playoffs because we'll be back year after year. And you know, I, you know, I think that I seem to have missed Washington's playoff appearance last year. You know, <laughs> when you get to the playoffs, you've got to try to win it. So 
All that said, I would come up, I think it would behoove the Nationals, rather than to let 150 innings or whatever the max is for Giolito sneak up on them, come up with a plan. I mean, are are you going to keep all five of your starters healthy all season? That's a little bit of a long shot. But even if you do, why not use Giolito as like a middle relief weapon in the, in the playoffs? So I, I would hope that the Nationals would have learned from what they, what they went through with Strasburg a couple years ago. And I would hope that they have some kind of plan as to how to get the most out of Lucas Giolito this year, even if they don't want to extend him past 150 innings or so. Yeah, and the good thing they have going for them, I think, is that obviously this is a Nationals team that has a real good rotation. I mean, Gio Gonzalez has has had his issues. He's looked good at times, but overall he'd be the guy, I guess, that would get bumped. But you don't need Giolito. I mean, I'm assuming Strasburg's going to come back healthy uh, from the back strain. You don't need Giolito as far as starting goes, so I agree with you. Just you know, use him, but but keep the limits down. Maybe skip some some starts if he goes back down to the minor leagues. Give him some extra days off. Keep the innings down, and and we've seen that with other teams have been able to do that, um, and just go away and learn from your mistakes, like you said. But uh, Jonathan, do you think he does? In your mind, does he head right back to the minors, or do they keep him up for a little bit, or does that just depend on Strasburg? I think it depends on Strasburg. If if there are starts for him to have, they keep him up. If, if there are no starts, I don't think you're going to move him into the bullpen now. It's right, it'd be later. Yeah. You know, he, he missed a whole year following Tommy John surgery after, you know, after he was drafted. Uh, there are still things that he can learn. I mean, it, even this year, he's largely been good, but he's been a little bit up and down um, as he's trying to tweak some things with his delivery. And, uh, you know, I think he could use some more. He, he needs some more starts. Now, I agree with Jim that. If there's no room for a new rotation, say there's no injuries, and we're getting into August, and he can help them in the bullpen, by all means shorten him up and, and let him pitch the rest of the way. First of all, that would actually manage his innings load. I'm not saying you pitch him three days in a row. Don't be, idiot, you know, don't be idiotic. But I think he could be extremely helpful. But I think that uh, we might be in the minority in terms of that kind of yeah, we will see, certainly. I wonder how his 95-96 would look in an inning uh, stint, maybe even higher than that. All right, yep. I mentioned the good news and the bad news. The bad news is uh, another bump in the road uh, for Mark Appel, the ongoing saga of Mark Appel. Um, and the latest is he shut down for 2016. Uh, bone spurs, which I don't know what it is about this week, guys, in bone spurs, but Stephen Matz, Noah Syndergaard, everybody seems to be the bone spurs is the, is the new thing, but he's going to go ahead, have the surgery, unlike those Mets pitchers who are going to try to pitch through it. Uh, so Appel's done. So another year over for this former number one pick that's had so many issues along the way, obviously now with the Phillies. Um, Jim, what do you think this means for his continued growth as he tries to make it to the big leagues? Well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily going to hurt him that much long term, but I've been kind of off the Mark Appel bandwagon. I'm curious. We'll see. We do. I'm almost at the point, Jonathan. I'm tired of having him on the top 100 prospects list because I just don't I think you. the high ceiling that was there when he was the number one overall pick is still there. You know, he throws hard. His slider is not the wipeout slider that he had at Stanford. I think his fastball, even though it's got velocity, gets kind of straight. And he, he just, even this year, he, he wasn't missing a ton of bats in AAA. And I just think he's going to be more of that number three or four starter than a top, top guy. And it's funny, I was thinking about this today when I saw the news, Jonathan, but uh, 
um, and give our, our, our good friend Harold Reynolds a ribbing, but you remember well on the desk at the 2013 draft, Harold was ready for Mark Appel to go to the big leagues that July or August for Houston. And you know, here we are three years after that, and he's not going to be in the big leagues until 2017 at the earliest, some point when he's, when he's 25 years old. Yeah, just another example of there's no guarantees in this, this crazy game of baseball, I guess. Jonathan, what, what do you think about Appel? I mean, yeah, there's definitely a star is fading kind of thing. I thought that this trade might actually do him some good. Um, you know, the stuff that has still been there. I think the only positive, because you know, when he first went down, there was elbow discomfort. Um, do you, for any of these guys, you breathe a sigh of relief that it's not uh, you know, need for Tommy John surgery. Um, obviously, for Pelly, he's going to miss the rest of the year, but uh, I think there's you know, a little less risk involved. I, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just not even trying to find a silver lining. I'm just trying to find something not overly negative. But he'll, he's going to have to wipe the slate clean and as Jim pointed out, he's not getting any younger, so next year's got to be the year that he contributes uh, in some capacity to a big league rotation. Yeah, 24 now, and I think I get your silver lining, though, because if it's Tommy John, he's going to miss pretty much, I would think, all of 2017. Maybe he comes yeah. back and they throw him in the Arizona Fall League or something, but, uh, but that would be basically two years gone as opposed to now. You would think clean bill of health by spring training, he'll be ready to go, and we'll see, because the Phillies hey, they're ready for young pitchers to come up to the major leagues and contribute. Um, we've, we've certainly seen that. So the opportunity is going to be there. All right, another great podcast in the books, guys. Thank you very much for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And, of course, we thank Del Matthews for joining us as well. This has been the Pipeline Podcast. Tune in again next week.